What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Pocket Podcast. Tana Demling here with y'all as always back on here for the first time in a couple weeks. Haven't been able to get the podcast out and uh, has been a lot of college lacrosse news in that time. Coaching carousel uh, is ramping down to an extent. Obviously, on the head coaching side, we've got some surprising, very newsworthy uh, moves on the assistant coaching side as well. We'll get into all of that and more on today's episode of the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Before we get going, I want to remind y'all you can listen to the Lacrosse Buzz Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. can also watch on YouTube as well. Anywhere you listen slash watch, don't forget to hit the subscribe button, hit the like button where you can, and leave the five-star review where you can as well. All of those ways help us to grow the show. You can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com is the website where it's always lacrosse season, as I like to say. And it is indeed always lacrosse season. Um, and the college lacrosse news does not stop, has not stopped the past couple of weeks since we have not been able to do a podcast, um, there's been quite a bit. A lot came out about, a, I guess, a little little over a week ago now. Um, and we'll start here on the head coaching front with Mount St. Mary's as they have hired Chris Ryan, the uh, head coach at Division II Mercy Host, to be their next head men's Lacrosse coach Ryan was at Mercy Host for 22 seasons. Mercy Host was the Division II runner-up this past season. They went 16 and 3 overall. Uh, they won the national title in 2011, I believe it was. Um, where they went? Uh, did they go undefeated or not? I know they won the title that year. I cannot remember what the record was exactly at that uh, point. He ends his career at Mercy Host with 268 career wins. Again, 22 seasons there. Um, really nothing but success for NCAA Division II title game appearances, including this past season, 2023, a national title in 2011 as well. As I mentioned, um, in addition to his time at Mercy Host, he's also a assistant coach with the uh, PLL's Water Dogs Lacrosse Club as well. Um, this is a, uh, I'd say if, if you're looking for, so they got rid of Tom Gavanti, who'd been there for quite some time, obviously, right, since the 90s, 20-some-odd years. They're coming off a really good season. Mount St. Mary's is um, a 10-win season, won the MAC regular season title, um, really had a, a had a great year. Uh, Eight-game win streak was the highlight of that season. Uh, I had named them earlier, well, actually, yeah, yes, uh, Monday, 
my uh, breakout team of the season in the MAC doing our conference reviews. I had Mount St. Mary's as that breakout team. Um, they went, had a strong season, um, seven game one streak, excuse me, it was from March 18th through April 15th. That included big win over uh, eventual league champion Marist, who is that who they lost to? No, that it was. I can't remember who they lost to in the uh, postseason, uh, Mount St. Mary's, but they did fall in the uh, the quarter. Uh, yes, they did fall to Marist. Uh, I was correct there. Nineteen to seven, uh, one of those big Marist uh, offensive outings that they had late in the year. Uh, Chris Ryan coming into this situation now as the head coach. Um, I think when you look at the hire that Mount St. Mary's could have made, um, this is this is a good one. It's a guy who has sustained sustained success at one program, um, has sustained success as a head coach, has won a national title, uh, obviously as mostly host at the Division Two level, and is is likely going to come in and, and be able to help sustain whatever it is uh, Mount St. Mary's has good going on right now. We'll see how things ultimately end up. Uh, but right now, I, I think just looking at it with a big picture view, um, I, I'm not sure you could you, you could pick too many you know better hires that would you know outweigh this for Mount St. Mary's for this job, given that program, given its given its history. Given, uh, you know, kind of what it what it needs um, or what it's looking for, I should say rather. Um, so, no, a solid hire there, Chris Ryan, to be the head coach at Mount St. Mary's. We'll see how things roll. This is a program that hasn't been too too successful, uh, but uh, has had its highs. Certainly, this year was a high. Twenty nineteen was a pretty good high for them as well. Uh, was it 2004, I believe it was, the last time they made the NCAA tournament? Might might have been sooner than that, but it's been a while since they made the NCAA tournament. Getting a guy with a ton of postseason experience, a ton of experience um, playing at the highest level, at uh, coaching at the highest level at Division Two, coming now into Mount St. Mary's, and 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 looks like they want to push to be at the top of the MAC. Which again, I say it all the time. The most parity-ridden conference in college cross is the MAC. The uh, difference between one and how many teams they got in now? Ten. Uh, one and ten is a lot closer than the difference between you know one and you know, six or seven in a lot of other conferences across the country, and it's that way every single year. Really, I, I don't feel like there's ever a a a, 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 a a true uh, clear-cut bottom, a true clear-cut top tier in many years in the MAC. Uh, so we'll see how how things go here with Mount St. Mary's under Chris Ryan and, and if he can bring that success with him to Emmitsburg. Now, heading a bit further south for this one, or actually west, um, we knew both, I should say. We knew Dave Metzbauer. We talked about it, I believe, about a month ago. Um, 
that he had left North Carolina, let go, left, what are you going to say? Him in North Carolina, Joe Blaschie had parted ways. Dave, Dave Metzbauer had parted ways with Joe Blaschie in the North Carolina Tar Heels as the program's offensive coordinator. Rumblings had been abound for a week or so before this was announced, maybe longer. Um, trying to think back my timeline here. There had been rumblings, there had been rumors um, about Dave Metzbauer heading west. He's going to go join his old buddy Bill Tierney's former team. He's going to go, Dave Metzbauer, Bill Tierney's old OC at Princeton, is going to join Matt Brown, Bill Tierney's protege at Denver. He's going to join his staff. Was a rumor, had been out there. It is now official. Um, as of last week, Dave Metzbauer is now the offensive coordinator at Denver. He was at North Carolina for nine seasons in the same position. This is a Denver program that won a national title, was it 2015, has been really, um, I would say to a large part, um, underperformed, at least to that expectation, if you're using 20, you know, 13, 14, 15 as your barometer, they've really underperformed since then. Um, you know, they went, they've been to NCAA tournaments, they've missed a couple years, uh, and they've been inconsistent competition for the Big East title. But, at least the past, what, 2018 to now, so past, what, 2018, 19, 20, one, didn't have one 2020, so 18, 19, 21, 22, 23. Past five full seasons, six years, have been in the shadow of Georgetown. Georgetown has been the top dog in the Big East. Um, offensively, Denver's been pretty solid. You've had some shakeup there, obviously, with a number of guys coming in and out. You've got some transfers. Obviously, Thomas Bragg and, and those guys. And what was that, 20, was that 2021 or 22 when those guys came in? I can't remember exactly what it was. 22 it was when those guys came in. Um, so two years ago, this past season, didn't have <clears throat> much of that. Um, things kind of evened out for Denver in terms of fifth-year guys, transfers, all of that. And they really, you saw some guys that had been developing um, number of players who had been kind of, lost in the shuffle, if you will, or sitting behind those other guys, come out and, uh, you know, had a solid offense, 11.6 goals per game, 43rd scoring uh, offense in college across. I believe efficiency rankings, they were like top 35 in, in, in most of them. Um, Denver, they return two of the top three scorers, Noah Manning, 22 goals, 15 assists, Michael Lampert, 19 goals, 18 assists, uh, Denver will also have, and pull up their official stat sheet here, two of the top three um, three players are back offensively. Stephen Avery is back as well. Uh, he was a junior. Mick Kelly, just a sophomore. Uh, all guys who contributed pretty heavily to this offense last season, and, and you expect to do so again this year. Um, and again, Denver struggled, I would say, 
a bit offensively the past couple of years. I thought this year they, they, they showed a lot of progress. They showed a lot of what you wanted to see from them the past couple of years when it seemed like things didn't fit at times. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Dave Metzbauer does there. Uh, at Denver, obviously uh, a talented squad that you have there, as always. Uh, you know, you got Matt Brown, the new head coach. You've got Dave Metzbauer, the new offensive coordinator. Two very well-respected guys in their own right now coming together, and we'll see what can happen there. Uh, speaking of North Carolina, so we know John Thompson is at North Carolina now. As the OC, we talked about that about a month ago when it happened. After Mets Bauer and, and them parted ways, John Thompson from Air Force comes in. So you got Mets Bauer going west, Thompson coming back east. You've got not the same place, but same state. You've got Dave Petromala now coming down to Chapel Hill from Syracuse, which still sounds very weird to me. I still had a hard time seeing him in orange on sidelines. Just growing up with Dave Petromala, Johns Hopkins head coach, and then seeing Syracuse orange on him looked very odd. He'll be back in blue, back in back in back in Carolina blue. I guess Hopkins was more baby blue, but Carolina blue. He'll be in Carolina blue as the team's defensive coordinator. Petromala was the obviously the head coach at Johns Hopkins for, what, 20 years at the helm of his alma mater. They parted ways in April of 2020. He joined Gary Gates' staff as the uh, defensive coordinator in 2022 and was also there this past season as well. So he was the defensive coordinator at Syracuse, if you did not know, in the past two seasons. His sons, Nick, who is a uh, will be a, a sophomore defenseman for Carolina, and Dom, who will be a redshirt freshman attackman for North Carolina. He was injured in the fall last year, sat out the entire season, was the number two high school recruit in the country. Dom Petromala was very talented attackman in his own right. Nick Petromala, we'll see how he does here as a sophomore and as things move forward. His dad will be his defensive coordinator. Um, I think, like, the, the number one thing that, that pops in my mind here is, like, this is, and and, 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 and to be clear here, so North Carolina, um, and we've seen this now at a couple schools where they've added the third assistant. You can do that now with the new rules. Kevin Understein is going to stay on staff at North Carolina, but, and he was the D.C., but Dave Petromala is going to be the D.C. now. Understand, I believe, is going to still stay on staff, work with goalies and, and you know, whatever they need him to do um, in that report, uh, in that regard. Um, so Dave Petromala is coming on on staff. So we have Joe Breshi, head coach, John Thompson, O.C., Dave Petromala, D.C., Kevin Understein will be that third assistant. Um Dave Petromala led a defense last year that it was progress, certainly, for uh, Syracuse defensively, and they were much better than they were the year prior. Um, they allowed 12.13 goals per game, 
44th best in the country. Um, he comes now into a Syracuse, uh, excuse me, into a North Carolina defense um, that really hasn't been too fantastic. Um, and, and really, I, I think I've talked about this at length, maybe not too much, but to an extent I've talked about this for sure, about when you look at North Carolina, the problems were, um, for the most part, and I go back pre-Chris you know, pre Gray to some of those struggles. It was defensive. Now, I did think this year um, North Carolina's offense was a lot, uh, defense was a lot better. One of the more storylines, and I know we talked about this a little bit on the podcast during the season, one of the bigger storylines for me this year was the improvement, not only of North Carolina, but also I think of Duke. Those two teams being right there on Tobacco Road, you know, not being in the tournament the year prior and really struggling defensively, coming in this year and, and having some pretty good defense played there in the Tar Heel State, and that included the Tar Heels, 10.93 goals per game this past season. Colin Krieg, we obviously know what he is there um, in cage, and, and he's been pretty uh, solid throughout his career. His numbers since his freshman year, like overall, haven't been, you know, as maybe, you know, 50% this year, 53% this year, 55 haven't really increased, but his play on a week-to-week -week basis has remained pretty solid. Um, you'll have Dave Petramala leading a defense that returns the Paul Poulton, their top pole. Um, you've got a couple pieces to replace for sure. Andrew Geppert is gone. Matt Wright is gone. Uh, two of your uh, guys that were you know, Geppert, a grad transfer from Brown. Wright is was a um, your, your top LSM. He's gone, um, and, and so you've got some pieces to replace there. Uh, Ty English was a really good defensive midfielder for them last season. We'll see if he stays on that end of on that end of the ball or or, or not. Evan Egan, another guy who was a graduate student last year, is gone defensively as well. So you've got some pieces there to replace, but you know you have to like a lot of what they have in in terms of some of these younger players. Uh, Paul Barton was, was just a sophomore last season, was one of the best uh, defensemen in the country as a freshman among that freshman class continued to be strong this year. Colin Creed obviously has been uh, pretty solid throughout his career. He'll be a senior this year in cage. Um, and, and again, like I said, North Carolina's defense improved last season. Now, they do lose uh, a, a lot as we just looked at. Uh, so, I think this will be, and this is the one kind of question I have in my mind with Dave Petromala, North Carolina defensive coordinator, is what exactly are you going to expect? And I know he was the head coach, and so you're not controlling it, just the defense. But his defenses um, at 
Johns Hopkins weren't particularly fantastic uh, those later years. Now, we can chalk that up to numerous things if you would like. But, making that point, and also at Syracuse, didn't have fantastic defenses either. Was it personnel? I, I think your first year, that first year, you could say it partially was. This past year, I not so much. They were better. They looked better. They did improve. So, um, what exactly are we to expect North Carolina's defense to do here in 2024 under Dave Petromala? That is the question. That is what we'll find out when they take the field in February and, and maybe even sooner uh, come this you know, October when you get fall ball scrimmages and we get our first eyes on that if we uh, are to do so. So Dave Petromala to North Carolina. Never thought I'd see him wearing Syracuse Orange. Never thought I'd see him with that Paul Hill logo on his chest either. But here we are. It's 2024, uh, going into 2024 season. Dave Petromala, 2023 right now. Dave Petromala is the defensive coordinator at North Carolina. His son, Nick, a defenseman for them. His other son, Dom, an attackman for them. Expected to be pretty significant for the Tall Heels this uh, this season coming up. Want to also mention a couple more assistant hirings that we've had. Um, Mark Bita has been hired as the third assistant at Delaware. He was a volunteer at Michigan this past season. Uh, J.T. Giles Harris hired at Jacksonville. Um, and then we mentioned Shane Copens taking the OC job there a bit earlier in the summer. Uh, pretty solid staff that they've got at Jacksonville. Um, and then let's see. Hmm. We mentioned Air Force. Will Corrigan, the offensive coordinator, is now at uh, Air Will Corrigan is now the offensive coordinator at Air Force, the son of, um, well, in the Corrigan family, was uh, working at uh, the, the son of, what is his name? Uh, Notre Dame's head coach, whose name is Kevin Corrigan. The son of Kevin Corrigan uh, was working at Harvard uh, there with um, Jerry Byrne as an assistant the past couple of seasons, now heading west, and will be the OC there at Air Force taking over the John Thompson position, where he had left to North Carolina. All right, moving on uh, here, last little segment here. Uh, we're going to do this on next week as well um, for uh, the opposite of this. So uh, I've been asked, and we're going to put a post up on this on lacrossebucket.com as well. Um, had been asked, doing any season review, kind of look back stuff, and yeah, we will. And we're going to start doing more of that now as the coaching carousel, transfer portal carousel, is starting to kind of come to a close here in July as we head into August for the most part. 
Um, and we'll start this with looking at top five teams who underachieved in 2023. I'm going to try to be quick here and, and just give a little minute spiel about each of these. Um, I actually have four right here. I need to still get a fifth one, and we'll have a fifth one on that post. Uh, but and kind of teetering back and forth on who that fifth team should be here. So, uh, five teams who underachieved in 2023. Number one, I think most, uh, like foremost of any of them, Ohio State. The Ohio State Buckeyes. And it's weird. Whenever, coming into 2022, I didn't have much expectation for Ohio State. I, I really didn't. Nobody did. They were pretty good. They got into the tournament, one of the last teams in, but still, they got in the tournament, had a good season, had some really good wins. This year, however, coming off of that, you get two really good transfers on defense. Uh, well, one really good transfer on defense to make a really good duo defensively there with uh, Marcus Hudgens, Bobby Van Buren, um, and then those other guys mixed in, they have there as well. And Ohio State, you also got Richie Lothalandra, who didn't pan out, didn't stay. Jack Myers is back, was was back. You've Kyle Borda, another big time, uh, ended up being a big transfer for them, for them as well. You've got guys like Colby Smith back, uh, who were instrumental the year prior. And it doesn't really work out. Ohio State started the season, I would say, okay. Air Force win was pretty good. That's a good Air Force team. You beat Cleveland State 19-12. A little closer than I expected, but you still got the win there. Then they have the North Carolina game, which was, for me, I think the first kind of antennas going up. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what this team is going to be, and it's still early. So I'm saying to myself at this point, it's, it's still February. We'll see how Ohio State works out. Doesn't look to be too good though. They got the win eight to five, but it was it was an ugly win. It was a weird win. They 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 really dominated. I believe it was at the second half of that game, um, and they played a North Carolina team that was on short rest too. So you kind of took that into account. Um, then they play Virginia, and they get the doors blown off, seventeen to six. They play Cornell, and they get their doors blown off. It's 16-13 the final, but we all know that, you know, what was it, five of those goals came in um, under three minutes or five minutes left, whatever it was. Um, they lose to Notre Dame, 16-3, to and I don't think anyone expected them at that point to win that one. But, look, after the North Carolina game, they only win two more games all year. They beat Detroit Mercy, 19-6, and they beat Rutgers, 11-7. And Rutgers, another team we'll talk about here in a second. Ohio State ended the season on a 1, 2, 3, 4, on a 5-game losing streak. Lost to Michigan twice at Michigan in the regular season, at Michigan in the postseason. This is not a, this was not a good year for Ohio State at all. Um, when you look at the Buckeyes, the injury to Drew Blanchard, I think, was a, was a big piece of it. And they didn't really have anybody there to face off that. But you still, like, there were times in this team, in this season, 
the Maryland game, which we've talked about at length, Love Gate. You had that one. But really, outside of that, and I would say the second Michigan game, which was 14 to 10, so a bit closer than the 1914 game. Outside of the Maryland game and the second Michigan game, I really didn't feel like Ohio State was that what what was as competitive as they should have been for an entire game. And I really think back to it, there wasn't many games where they were competitive for an entire 60 minutes. They would have really good quarters, really good start, or a really good finish. But they never sustained. And really, Ohio State surprised me with the way they played this past season. Um, really not good at all. And look, they started the season ranked number 11 in the nation. They end the season looking at the final rankings here, and they are absolutely nowhere to be seen. Second team here is the Harvard Crimson. Now, Harvard had a ton of young guys in 2022. Multiple first-year guys starting on defense, multiple first-year guys starting offensively. And Sam King continued to improve. Sam King continued to look good for Harvard this past season. 31 goals, 25 assists. Okay, Hayden Cheek was, was pretty good. 18 goals, 6 assists. Teddy Malone, a freshman, had the same stat line. Owen Gaffney, a sophomore, was 14-9. and nine. Andrew Perry, another sophomore, 13-9. and nine. Miles, Miles uh, Rodkiss, Nick Loring, Joe Dowling, all guys offensively with Hollywood that you looked at and, and you said, doing pretty good. D- doing pretty good for a, a Hollywood team, but, but especially there in Sam King. Defensively, Colin Bergstrom, a sophomore, continued to impress. Chase Yeager, who will be spending his fifth year at Virginia, uh, which I'm very excited to see him in that system. Played very well. Was one of my favorite players to watch, frankly, in college across this past season. The defensive midfielder. Um, Charlie Mueller, f- freshman. Played, had a good freshman season defensively. Okay. Um, you know, Harvard didn't necessarily, though, play that play as good as I think some people thought they would. They they started the season number 13 in the nation. They end the season unranked. And they went... Five and seven and two and four. They went five and seven overall, two and four in Ivy League play. Um, they were competitive in a lot of their games. They did lose to Dartmouth, which ended Dartmouth's uh, big uh, Ivy League losing streak. They beat Brown in that overtime contest to open Ivy League play. Uh, they did have the big win over Cornell. Their defense put a clamps down in that one. And, and I think you did see still. There were signs of, of continued improvement with a lot of these young guys, but coming out of the season they had the year prior and considering what people um, uh, by the rankings had them listed as, uh, as what they could have done, uh, an underperformance here from Harvard. Um, did I expect them, like personally, did I expect them to be to blow it out of the water, win the Ivy, and, and go to the NCAA tournament again, maybe a quarterfinal bid? No. But I expect them to remain around a top 20 team throughout the season. They 
did not do that. Uh, but I will mention a lot of young talent on that team was a sophomore slump overall. You could call it that, uh, but, but I would just keep my eyes open for next season. That's probably the only team I'm going to say that about on this list here. So the next team staying in the Ivy League, go ahead and go with Brown. And Brown is a team that coming into this season, I really, I really didn't know exactly what to expect. They were ranked number 16 coming into the year. I, you know, looking back to my rankings um, that I did at the beginning of the year. Let's look back to this. My rankings that I had for the beginning of the year. Where did I have Brown? If I had them in there at all. Hmm. Yeah, I had Brown at 18. I had Brown at 18. And what I had, I said Attackman, Devin McLean, Goalie, Connor Thelio, and Defensive Midfielder, Trevor, Trevor Yoboa Cody. Headline, a team coming off a strong 2022 campaign that can run with and cause trouble for anyone. How the Bears fill the holes they have will tell a lot about this team's true potential. Brown had a unique 2022. They had a 2023 that did not mirror that in uh, more ways than uh, none. They did have to fill a ton of holes defensively with losing practically their entire um, starting close defense. They started the season with an upset loss to Quinnipiac, um, and then they won the next three games, Providence, Vermont, Stony Brook. Um, the Vermont win was 22-12. to That was the most convincing one, Stony Brook 17-12. And there were some good highlights here. You beat Villanova, which I thought was probably their best win. You did have the... Um, the, uh, what was it, the uh, suspension situation, which I think, you know, interrupted some things. That Villanova game was when they came, a lot of those guys came back. So that had something to do with it as well. When you look at the, the what was it, Harvard, UMass they missed, and I think maybe North Carolina as well, if I'm remembering correctly. But this was a team that simply, uh, based on their ranking in the preseason, did not live up to that potential. Um, and again, was it that anyone thought like they were going to be world beaters this year? No. But if you rank 16 in the country coming the season, and you end in the end, and you end the year nowhere to be seen, uh, that is a underachievement in my mind. Very much so. Last team I'll really dive into here is, is Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers. Now, I will say this. I think this is the team on this list. And Rutgers, by the way, started the season number nine in the country, ended the season number 20. Um, Rutgers is the one team on here that I would say, I, I, I'm not sure if I could actually say they underachieved. Because here's the thing. Rutgers, this is the... On March 18th, they are 7-1 on March 18th. They're 7-1, and, and they've just beaten UMass 11-5. Prior to that, 
They beat Princeton, their rival, in overtime. They beat a good Utah team, 18-14, two weeks prior. They beat up on St. John's. They beat Loyola in a kind of defensive bout. They had the one-goal loss to Army. They beat Stony Brook, and they beat Marist. It was a pretty good start to the season with a couple good wins there uh, for Rutgers. However, they run into Big Ten play. And it, it felt like a typical Rutgers year to me. If you remember, like, 2016, 2017, Rutgers was really good. Really good. But they would always shoot themselves in the foot, either in the postseason or in Big Ten play. They, they would always do it. They, they always, always, always did it. And it feels like Rutgers did that to a large extent again this year. Lose to Ohio State. Lose to Johns Hopkins where you start Big Ten play 0-2. They lost to Michigan in a game where Michigan came. I mean, that was a, that, that frankly was a fantastic game. Um, was it a Friday, Friday night game under the lights? Fantastic overtime win. And uh, Michigan came, had to come back in that one to get the win. Uh, excuse me, uh, Michigan came back in that one and almost won, tied it up, sent to overtime. Rutgers... Uh, wins in overtime, and I mean, really, at that point, you could say Michigan was a team that looked like they were they were really good, but couldn't get over that hump still of winning like they needed to in the Big Ten. Now, if they figured out a way to do that, Rutgers, on the other hand, drops their next three games to end the season: Maryland, Penn State, and then Maryland again. In the, in, in the Big Ten tournament. Rutgers misses out on the NCAA tournament. And honestly, when you look at their resume with their wins, um, they, you know, they weren't really in the conversation that much for the bubble uh, consideration at all because of what their schedule looked like, because of the wins they had. You look at this team statistically, you look at this team in terms of its roster, and you say to yourself that, that that's a pretty good squad that they have there. And um, to be honest, it was. I mean, Ross Scott, Shane Knobloch, Brian Cameron, Dante Kulis steps up as a sophomore. Um, you know, uh, Rutgers just couldn't, it, again, like it felt like they shot themselves in the foot like they typically have done. They, they pulled a Rutgers back out of the hat after not doing so for a number of years. Um, the next team I want to mention here in my underachieving is, um, and there's a couple teams I'm kind of teetering on the back and forth against here. One is Penn, um, who started the season at 10, ended at 15. They went 7-6, and a still winning season. Uh, you know, Penn... Had a rough start. Um, they you know, lost a lost to uh, Princeton in that uh, oddly um, oddly low scoring game in the in the Ivy semis. Um, so Penn's one team I'm kind of teetering with at putting there. Uh, the other team I'm, I'm kind of leaning on putting there is uh, is Jacksonville. Is, is Jacksonville or North Carolina. Uh, you know, Jacksonville, so Jacksonville, North Carolina, 
or uh, what was the other team I just said? Penn. Or the next three teams I'm kind of teetering with on on putting in this list here. Um, you look at Jacksonville, they started the season 18th in the preseason rankings, weren't ranked coming out of the season. They went 12-4. and four. Look, they, they beat Duke. They had a good game against Hopkins. Um, you, you had some injuries, obviously, with Max Waldbaum missing a, a good portion of time, and he only played was he played 13 games this season. Came back in March, um, so he missed the first three games this season. Um, you know they had good wins, but I I don't feel like. Outside of the Duke win, I, I never felt like they grabbed a signature win. Um, Utah would have been that. They lost to them. Air Force, they lost to them. Um, and they lost to RMU, Robert Morris, in the uh, postseason, and they beat Robert Morris 12-6 to in the regular season. Um, Jacksonville, really, when you look at the talent they had on this roster, up and down, um, n- not only just guys like Dylan Watson and and Brandon Galloway there, uh, but also in cage with Luke Milken. And they had to kind of rebuild this defense from a year ago, but you still had some solid pieces there, especially at the defensive midfield spot. And Jacksonville just didn't do what it needed to do. Um, and, 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 you know, similarly there with Penn, as I had mentioned, you know, Sam Hanley, obviously a great player. Ben Smith, we, we, we know what he did this past season, but Overall, wasn't wasn't spectacular. You know, Emmett Carroll I thought played very well um, as a as a guy who stepped in the pipes as a starter for the first time in cage. I, I thought he played well, uh, but with this Penn defense overall, I, I'm not sure played as good as as maybe you've come to expect from them the past couple of years. Um, they did have some. They had a lot of close losses, and like Penn. Typically plays a lot of close games, um, but again seven and six. And I'm trying to look uh, if this is for Penn. And, and again, they ended the season still ranked. So uh, why they're kind of on the back end of this, um, you know, under uh, you know total underachiever. Uh, North Carolina didn't end the season ranked. They started the season preseason ranked 19. So. They're a bit more on that side there, uh, and they did end up losing each of their final four games of the season. Uh, they lost to Syracuse uh, to snap. Syracuse snaps their ACC uh, losing record and that one. Now, they did beat Syracuse earlier in the season. Um, you know, in really looking through North Carolina's schedule, though, it, it's very tough to pick out, like, a signature win. I guess you would say... It was, uh, you know, possibly uh, Johns Hopkins, possibly the first Syracuse game, possibly Brown, uh, but a, a lot of lacrosse that uh, I think Joe Brescia and those guys would like to forget from this past season, particularly uh, those last two games of the year, 16-9 against Notre Dame, and then 18-9 uh, against Notre Dame. Uh, back, or not back-to-back weeks, but it was, they played Notre Dame, had a bye week, played Notre Dame, killed both times. So, uh, North Carolina also on that list as well. But again, we'll have a more kind of in-depth, in-depth piece on that. Underachieving teams, 
from 2023 on lacrossebucket.com later this week. We'll also be looking at teams that overachieved uh, early next week as well. We'll also put that out on the podcast. Also, and as always, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube. You can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.